This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This week, we are offering three conversations from episode 50, the exciting world of innovative dynamic imaging. In this conversation, Antaros Medical Chief Medical Officer Lars Johansson discusses some of the key items in his recent Paris Nash talk, Innovations in Imaging. In this conversation, he mostly covers the development and role of PET tracers, which target collagen 1 and hepatic stellate cell activation to monitor changes in fibrogenesis and fibrosis at the same time. Lars and Stephen Harrison discuss how this approach can improve our basic understanding of liver function and physiology, and also help researchers pinpoint optimal combination therapies by characterizing the role each agent in the combination plays. There's a lot more, but to me, this episode moved so quickly it felt a bit like drinking from two fire hoses at once. The story it tells is exhilarating and powerfully optimistic. So even if you have to listen twice, do it. Sit back, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the conversation on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Roger Green. Let me turn to Stephen for a minute. And Stephen, just set up briefly what it was that you found about that Paris NAS session that was so um, energizing and inspiring. And then we'll turn to Lars to talk more about what he had to say as part of it. Go ahead. Stephen Harrison. Thanks for bringing this up, Roger. I mean, having the opportunity to go to the Parish Nash Summit was exciting, not only because the COVID pandemic, we've been unable to travel, and this was my first venture across the Atlantic in the past two years, but also just seeing a lot of colleagues up front and in person, I think it made for a wonderful conference. As part of that, in attendance at the meeting, I was asked to moderate a session on fibrosis, liver fibrosis. Part of that session, there were three different speakers, pathologist and then Lars speaking on imaging and Scott Friedman speaking on fibrosis from a stellate cell perspective. I found all of them to be remarkable and intriguing. I learned quite a bit from each of them. And as part of that, one of the things that that I was struck by in particular was the lecture that Lars gave on imaging relative to fibrosis. And in the world I live in every day where we're focused on MRI, proton density, fat fraction, multi-parametric MRI with corrected T1 and MR elastography, there was so much more that I guess I wasn't in tune with that people like Lars are working on. And I was glued to his presentation. I thought it was unbelievable. And I thought it was worthwhile sharing with you guys on the podcast. So fortunately, Lars has taken the time out of his incredibly busy schedule, running a growing company to join us today on the podcast to share with you guys what you were unable to hear if you did not attend the meeting in Paris. But hopefully he can and enlighten us with some of the particulars of things that are exciting in the field that he is working on today that maybe tomorrow or in the near future we might be able to see firsthand either in research or in clinical practice. So Lars, thanks for joining us today and I'll turn it over to you to tell us a little bit about what's going on in your world relative to imaging and liver disease. Lars Johansson. Well, thank you, Stephen, for that nice summary of the Paris Nash meeting. Uh, I was invited to give a talk about a innovations in imaging assessment of fibrosis. And I think this is something which we're very involved with, both my colleagues at the university, but also in the company. So as I told you before, we've been doing imaging in, in, in NAFLD and NASH trials starting back in 2004, doing liver spectroscopy back then. And there's been a fantastic 
fantastic development over the time. And I think the way we view it, and I should say, we are not focused on a specific method. We are really trying to image what really makes sense from a biological, pathological perspective. So, and, and we started the early, very early work is on steatosis, but then you can go all the way through cell injury, inflammation, you get uh, cell activation, cell stellate cells, and of course, direct imaging of fibrosis. You can, and I will come back to that, uh, using MRE and others. We are also looking into effects on hemodynamics and portal hypertension, also in subclinical space. And I think there's some, that was one of the topics I didn't touch upon there, but I think there's some really interesting data emerging also in that field. Now, what I did talk about was work that we are doing in developing PET tracers targeting both fibrosis uh, in, in, in terms of, of targeting collagen 1, but also hepatic stellate cell activation with the PET tracers targeting PDGF or beta. Why we do that is because we know there is, in, in, in a normal situation or in a healthy situation, there is a balance between fibrogenesis and fibrolysis. If there's a balance there, you have a good extracellular matrix homeostasis. But if you have a disturbance that you have an increased fibrogenesis and no increase in fibrolysis, you will accumulate collagen and fibrosis. So by being able to image both the amount of fibrosis and the fibrogenesis, you can really see if you, with the treatment, turn down fibrogenesis, then that should translate into no progression of the disease. And then we can actually also see whether it will regress the disease by looking at the amount of fibrosis. And the way we do this is that we develop this PET tracer, which is a proprietary tool that binds to PDGF or beta. And we know that PDGF or beta is expressed on hepatic stellate cells upon activation. So we label this with a radioactive compound, you inject it, and then you can really see, and we see very early effects. In, we've been testing this in a couple of models, and we see very significant differences already after four or six weeks of treatment in these animal models where they start to develop fibrosis. We are currently in the preclinical phase, and we are just moving into the clinical testing with these, I should say. So this is really what we will see coming into life in clinical studies starting fairly early next year and, and hopefully getting into interventional trials within 12 to 15 months from now, where we can see decrease, hopefully, in, in fibrogenesis and quantify that. So that was the first part of it. The second part was also the imaging of the collagen 1, so direct imaging of fibrosis. And for that, we are, you know, the, the, the collagen 1 fibrils are, you have decorin that binds to it, and that's well known and described. So we have produced a decorin mimetic, which binds to collagen 1, and thereby we can, again, label it with the radioactive substance and image it and, and get a an handle not only on the activation, but also on the amount. So that was the first part. And those are both in the preclinical phase, moving into the clinical setting as we speak. So that was the first piece. What was your view on it, Stephen? That data or that type of imaging work that you're doing is potentially a game changer. You know, where we're able to quantify fibrogenesis as well as its inhibition or regression as a biomarker is really exciting because we, we don't have a good way of assessing that currently. We can say, okay, here's, here's some amount of liver stiffness that links to fibrosis. We do that through fiber scan and we do that through MR techniques, MR elastography. But actually being able to quantify stellate cell activation and its inhibition, I think, would be important, as well as measuring collagen 1. To me, the next step would be associating that with blood-based biomarkers that we use for fibrosis, like ELF, its components of ELF, as well as 
Pro-C3, and maybe even PDFF. And I say PDFF only because I'm thinking here specifically about some mechanisms of action where we've been able to show that the more you defat the liver, in fact, the more you're able to normalize liver fat content, we begin to see gradations in what we would link to histopathologic NASH resolution, as well as fibrosis improvement. So in other words, at 30% relative reduction in liver fat, we link that to improvement in the NAFLD activity score, and even a percentage of patients achieving the gestalt diagnosis of NASH resolution. Once you are over 50%, we're now seeing that plus some evidence that fibrosis is moving in the right direction. And then there's even more recent data on complete defatting of the liver. So if we're able to link a quantification of fibrogenesis with change in PDFF, I think that would be quite insightful, as well as correlating and associating these wet biomarkers to that imaging modality as well. That's exciting. Maybe I'd love to hear your thoughts on how we could kind of progressively evaluate this PET tracer technology relative to what we are currently using to either blend it together or use PET tracer technology to quantify fibrogenesis and these collagen 1 fibrils to some of these maybe even simpler, more red available wet biomarkers. I completely agree with you. I think that's that's how we have deployed these things in the past. If you do a PET tracer, this is not something which you use in large scale phase 2B, phase 3 clinical trials, simply because of availability. But what you can do, and that's also how we did when I was with AstraZeneca, was that we, we did some of these advanced techniques to really understand which are the best circulating biomarkers to go into the large clinical trials. So I completely agree with you, Stephen, on, on, on how we can use this to better understand also the circulating biomarkers. Again, I mean, the beauty of the PET tracer is it gives you tissue specificity, which you may not get from the circulating biomarkers. So I, I think that's that's one of the areas where I see it's being used. Another one, which I think is also, I think, very important is that I, I've been spending a lot of time working in diabetes with SGLT2s and GLP-1s, which are also very important in treatment of liver disease, even though, I mean, the GLP-1s are obviously there, the semaglutide study. SGLT2s are not developed for NASH, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't have a good effect in some of these patients. Another area which I think is really important, where we can use these tracers or fibrogenesis is also is in the area of, of combination treatment, where you need to show what is the contribution of the individual components. So let's say you combine the GLP-1. For instance, Novo Nordisk just announced the trial with the combination of GLP-1 and FGF-21. But you need to show the individual contribution of the different drugs. So you can have a metabolic drug and an antifibrotic. The authorities will require to see evidence that it's not just one of the drugs making the whole contribution. That's another area where I think this can be very important. And we've seen that in the past when we combine, for instance, SGLT2s with other drugs that you really need to tease out the different components in combination treatments. So I think that is also an area where I see great use of these type of tracers. Stephen, do you see, were there other specific things that came to mind as you were looking at this the first time? And then I'll ask Louise kind of what you got in mind or what had the strikes you? I think that's an interesting observation from Lars relative to developing common 
combo therapy. One of the things that we think about in the field of drug development is what makes the best combination. We've always kind of looked at it from the perspective that this is a multi-hit pathogenetic disease and the patients are very heterogeneous. There are lots of genetic and epigenetic as well as environmental and even microbiome factors that play into which pathways are more upregulated, downregulated, or whatever that lead to the phenotypic expression of NASH and fibrosis in that particular patient. And we've tended to say, okay, let's focus on histopathology because that's the what the FDA is mandating for subpart H approval. But in reality, when we step back and look at the patient holistically, we really need to be getting after therapies that are more broadly impactful, not just on NASH, but on the underlying obesity and insulin resistance and diabetes and hypertension and hyperlipidemia that are part and parcel to that makeup of that particular patient. So we're wanting to try to bring drugs together that can synergistically not only impact histopathology, but that can get after the extrahepatic manifestations of disease. And where we're able to mitigate potentially some of the adverse events of a drug by combining it with a drug that has maybe an opposite effect, that would be helpful for drugs like, for instance, the FXRs, which raise LDL, but potentially in low dose in combination could augment through bile acid inhibition and modulation effects on stellate cells. So we've been thinking about that perspective, but boy, what what Lars mentions relative to assessing through this PET tracer technology, the impact of multiple drugs, more than one drug, and and exactly where their component parts are, are acting would be another part of this developmental process that helps us get from the biplane, if you will, that we're flying right now to that fifth generation strike fighter that we want to be at when we go after NASH. No, I, I just want to say that obviously in, in the end, you still have to, in the current environment, still have to do your biopsy trials. But for early assessment of showing that you're certain that you have a contributing factor from the different drugs in, in combination treatment, I think this can be very powerful. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the others or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next Wednesday, October 20th, to discuss fibrosis with Scott Friedman, who Stephen has described as the father of fibrosis. It should be as enlightening and energizing as this week's episode. I hope you'll join us then. Until then, stay safe, surf on, see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now.